Hey, good evening, everybody, and uh, good to see you guys this uh, MLK weekend. How many of you guys know that Monday was a holiday? Man, I didn't find out till Wednesday. <laughs> like, I was thinking, oh man, I don't really pay attention to those things. But um, it's a, it's been a nice start to the new year for me, and I hope it's been that way for you. Um, you know, we we had a little extra time off between Christmas and New Year's, and now we get a holiday on Monday. Uh, that's amazing. But um, hey, you know, for those of us. Uh, that have started well it's been a great time right and hope that you started with sense of freshness and 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 having good times with family and friends and at the same time we know some people it's been challenging and talk to a bunch of families who have just been kind of wrestling with flus and viruses and covid some of them and and all kinds of things and some people you know having uh, things act up and and so sometimes you can't really tell when those things happen um, and they come unannounced and they don't ask for permission mission. And I know that that's the way it was uh, for people in Japan on January 1st. When the day started, it was a beautiful day. Actually, they, they, the, the kind of the bells rung out, the people go and then they, they celebrate um, New Year's and it's very quiet. It's actually the exact, I used to think that when you go to Japan, it's going to be like really rocking. Like if it's like that over here, it's the exact opposite. Like that part that if all the fireworks and all that, we probably get that from all the Chinese influence and uh, and all the local pyros, right? That we just like grew up making bombs and stuff. So, but in Japan it's really quiet. And so a lot of places are closed and, but people are traveling and they go back home and all that. But something happened before uh, sun uh, sunset where you guys probably are aware that a 7.6 earthquake uh, shook this uh, Ishikawa prefecture on the, western part of central Japan uh, on the Noto Peninsula and it was the the most um, kind of devastating earthquake that's happened since 2016 and uh, a thousand people were injured 220 fatalities uh, 26 people still missing and uh, it was just a devastating thing and it's still going on now right that you see the effects and and things are happening in Japan and then a couple days later, well, not really a couple days later, the next day on, uh, on January 2nd, uh, the, this JAL airliner coming from my wife's hometown, we would have probably, if we go to Japan, that's the flight we would have been on, coming in from Sapporo, going into Haneda Airport, is uh, attempting to land only to collide with a Coast Guard a plane that is getting ready to take supplies to all the devastation that's happened in uh, the Ishikawa prefecture and and the uh, the 375 79 people on that JAL Airlines amazingly all escaped with their lives right praise God for that but but five of the six individuals that were manning the plane that when the Coast Guard they they lost their life. And you know, sometimes when you see things like that, and, and it's like, I don't even live in Japan, right? But there's a part of me and that said this, it's like, boy, I hope that's not a kind of a harbinger of things to come. You know what I mean? Like that's not a, just a first precursor to these things. And you know, I think a lot of times that when we go through difficult seasons, it's very easy for our minds to move in a direction that kind of can, can take a slow spiral down and sometimes it can go faster uh, than we think. And this weekend, what I'd like to do is look at a few scriptures that will help us in many ways that, that when we're confronted with the stressful situations that will happen this year, um, regardless of the things that we know, and there's probably some things that you can anticipate that will be relatively stressful, and there will be some that you cannot anticipate, but that we can build an emotional resilience. And uh, I, w- I want to take a look at a, a passage in, in, in Scripture. We'll find it in um, Mark chapter 4. Uh, it's printed there in your notes, but, but this aspect of... Um, having an emotional resilience or the capacity to bounce back or process stressful, infor- uh, stressful situations is a critical skill that all of us need to develop. And if you have it, that to be honest, at times needing to be strengthened. And I think I see some of the roots of these things found in this passage. And so uh, I'm, gonna open, um, I'm gonna open by reading uh, verses 35 to uh, 38. And so 
Would you be kind enough uh, to stand with me and let's read together. And this is what it says in Mark chapter four, verse 35. Ready, let's read. As evening came, Jesus said to his disciples, let's cross to the other side of the lake. And so they took Jesus in the boat and started out, leaving the crowds behind, although other boats followed. But soon, a fierce storm came up. High waves were breaking into the boat, and it began to fill with water. And Jesus was sleeping at the back of the boat, and with his head on a cushion, the disciples woke him up, shouting, Teacher, don't you care that we are going to drown? And you see in this situation, maybe like what happened in Japan or in, in different situations that can happen in your life, that when you get a phone call about something that's happened to someone that you love or something that's happened to uh, that maybe your potential plans and, and it just rocks your world. Sometimes these things come unannounced. Sometimes we see them coming long down the future or maybe in a short term down the future. I remember uh, when the hurricane uh, came through the Philippines that, that devastated is the reason why we first started to go to the Philippines um, and, and talking to people who are survivors that kind of they knew it was coming. They knew it was coming, but there was absolutely nothing they could do to get out of its way. And he said that when the, the hurricane that, that was tearing apart his house, he was standing out in, in the midst of the darkness because it happened at night. And he cried out to God, God, help us in the midst of this time. And so we, we walked in and helped in the, the recovery for that. But sometimes you cannot tell when these storms come. But we, I see in, in this some uh, capacities that, uh, some things that I think relate to all of us. And so before you're seated, do me a favor and just turn to your neighbor and say, although we can't, we can't avoid all the storms in life, we can be resilient in going through them. And then you can have a seat. You can't stop all the storms in life, but we can build resilience in going through them, right? And so one of those things we see is that it, it looked great. It was a clear day. It was a nice day when it started. And so when they left, no one would have uh, thought about the situation. But you know, it says that as the, 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 the storm came up and the winds began to blow and the waves began to break into the boat, that um, I, I see a, one of those things that begins to happen for so many of us that when the, the winds start kicking up in our lives and the waves start getting a little more rocky, we tend to focus on all the problems. When, when Peter, in a different instance, when they are stuck in a storm and Jesus comes to them, you guys remember the story about Peter? Peter says, Lord, if that's you, call me out. Command me to walk on the water. And so he says, come to Peter. And Peter begins to walk on the waves. The only person that I, I think that I know, right, in all of history who's ever walked on water besides Jesus is Peter. And rather than saying, this is like crazy amazing, he says that what does he begin to do? Instead of focusing on Jesus, he begins to focus on what? The winds and the waves, it says. And the winds and the waves, and then and all of a sudden that fear overtook him and he began to sink until he cried out to Jesus, Lord, save me, right? And I think that all of us, that part of the problem that when we go through very stressful situations, it, sometimes it's the loss of a job, sometimes it's the loss of a loved one, sometimes it's the, 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 the aspect of the, the, all that you've hoped for gets stymied, or, or sometimes that maybe things are moving so quickly that you, you don't feel like you can keep up. But all of us, that when those times happen, that we may have a tendency to get hyper-focused on our problems. And what we focus on, we start seeing all around us everywhere. Like the proverbial, you know, when you're looking for the car, right? If you start looking for, you know, for me it was so long, was Honda Accords. I, just, I still like, a, I, even though I'm, I'm driving a different car now, I still love Honda Accords. And when I'm, I'm always looking, and I see them everywhere I go. But the thing is that when you become hyper-focused on your problems, you start seeing layer and layer and layer of additional difficulties. 
Because what you start seeing when you focus on your problems, that you start saying, well, this can go wrong too, and this, that can go wrong too. And if I try to do this, then this can go wrong in that process. And all of a sudden, we can find ourselves overwhelmed by problems and stress. And so in the midst of that time, oh, now I know why. I lo- I'm lost because I printed my notes double-sided. I was thinking, I was supposed to say way other stuff before I said all this. Uh, <laughs> but uh, yeah, like it makes sense. So, um, but here's the thing is it becomes like layer after layer after layer. And so what we need to build is this aspect of an emotional resilience. Emotional resilience refers to a person's ability to adapt and bounce back from stressful or challenging situations. It, it involves, it's a coping with adversity, right? And, and maintaining a positive outlook. And, it, and it's also kind of doing that in an emotionally healthy way. And so people who are resilient are not just born resilient, but they actually practice some skills that helps them to navigate through difficulties or setbacks or or opposition and uncertainty without being totally overwhelmed and so there may be some people who more naturally kind of have a certain uh, a makeup for that or their their way of looking at life but it is something that can de- be de- developed and cultivated and implemented through various ways and so without this skill we probably find it proce- uh, difficult to process uh, these kinds kinds of situations, whether uh, a minor or a major challenge can set off something where we start feeling anxiety, maybe we start feeling frustrated, we start feeling helpless in that moment, and then we become overly uh, overwhelmed easily in that moment. Can affect your decision making when you're in that place that um, you know that so often we make a decision to kind of remove ourselves and find some relief, but without it being maybe at times uh, the best decision that we could make in the long term. Then maybe you start struggling with just kind of the frustration start spilling out maybe around the people uh, that you love most with your family and friends and starts taking its toll on relationships and and maybe to just the people that you interact with and so if that happens it probably bleeds into all different kinds of areas in your life it happens at work or different things and it can even affect your health that people who are kind of overwhelmed not only find themselves more subject to anxiety and depression of course but things like headaches and poor sleep and and even a lowered immune system that maybe just that you find yourself getting sick all the time. And so many of those things that they don't just kind of affect today, but sometimes they affect our future because what happens is that we avoid situations maybe in the future of taking risks because of our fear about what can happen or what, that what we can lose in that process. And so as this weekend as we're looking at these passages let's be reminded that we are not to focus only on our problems but but to at times watch the story that you're telling yourself because i think all of us have probably hyper focused on problems at some point right that we start seeing the problem in everything because something happened in one sector starts bleeding over to other sectors in your life right the problem isn't that the boat is in the storm that's not the problem boats were made to go through go through the ocean or go through the sea or go through the water and it was made to handle a certain amount of 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 disturbance a certain amount of storms that's not the problem But the problem is, at times, what you're telling yourself about your situation. What do you tell yourself about your situation when you're by yourself, right? That when you start to ruminate, you start to think about that time. For some of us, that happens when you're you're driving to work. For some of us, that's when you're standing in the shower. For some of it, it's the quiet time that you're sitting at the desk and trying to get your work done. For, For others of us, it's that time when you lay your head on the pillow and then you cannot control some of those thoughts. But what kind of stories are you telling yourself? What is the, the narrative that you're saying? Is this the beginning of the end? Because what we think about can derail us. Not because that's the situation, but because we end up following the script that we tell ourselves over and over again. 
And so the problem isn't that the boat is in the water. The problem isn't that the boat encounters some waves. It was the fact that what they said was the story of what would happen. What did they say of the story of the disciples when they were in the midst of the storm? It says, yeah, that we're gonna die, right? We're gonna, we're gonna drown. This, this, this boat is ready to capsize or it's ready to, to, uh, to, to, uh, to sink. Now, the thing is that, was there real danger? I, I think there was real danger because these are commercial fishermen, right? That, that have been very experienced and seasoned. And, and so for them to be this afraid means that it was, I think, actually really scary situation, right? And so when you have this aspect of a very stressful situation and you want to be emotionally resilient, does it mean that you have to deny reality for that? No, you don't have to deny reality. In fact, it probably helps at times to face the facts, Right, because some of us that you're facing real challenges right at this moment, right? You're facing real financial challenges for some. For some of us that we're facing some very difficult situations in family right now, and 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 it's important to 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 not deny that reality, right? And it's true. It's true that there there may be some things you can do, and there may be some things that you can't do. But but that what we look at is that one of those things. If you're not going to deny reality. Please also don't deny help when it comes, right? For many of us that when we find ourselves in these overwhelming situations, if you let people know around you that one of the first things that people try to do is they probably try to reach out to you. It says, oh man, what, what can I do? And, and so often the local, the kind of the, the local mentality so often is like, no, 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 I, I, I'm good, I'm good, right? How many of us had said, I'm good, I'm good, and we're anything but good, right? We're the farthest thing from being good. And so often when God maybe is orchestrating help for us, that, that it comes in the form of a friend, it comes in the form of a family member, it comes in the form of somebody saying, hey, what can I do? And we say, oh, no, 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 no problem, no need, no need, I'm all good. And, and sometimes it's in that moment that we need to, to re be open to receiving, right? Don't push away the help. Sometimes that's the very help of God. Now I understand sometimes it's not always comfortable to receive help, right? That I've talked to so many people who have cared for parents, ailing parents, parents with, with issues with dementia, parents that are having health issues and, and I've been through that myself. And in that moment that it was overwhelming. And I've had friends say, hey, I can come help. I can come help. And it's like, so that when, that I'll come and just, I'll, I'll watch dad so that you can at least finish the message for the weekend. And you can, I'll come and, and I'll just keep him company and all that. And it's like, let's just make sure that he has all those needs so that you can study or you can make a phone calls or you can do other things. And my first reaction was like everybody else. Nah, 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 no need, right? But you know, it was some of the best thing that I've ever said was to allow that my friends to help me who wanted to help, right? They, they came to, I, when I was staying at my folks' house during that time, it was a very difficult season, but we saw the grace of God, and part of it is because I think I never did everything all myself. And, and but, but understand that that you don't have to deny reality, um, the situation. Yes, it's difficult. Yes, it can be hard. But here's the thing that don't ever not take, don't ever like burn yourself to the crisp because you deny help. You deny taking a break because you think you have to do everything. And some of those things are overwhelming meaning because you can't really do it, all of it. But here's the thing I think that, that can also help that that if you don't look around to see the goodness around you, you start reinforcing that story that this is the end, right? You start reinforcing that story that things are impossible. But look around for God's goodness around you. My, my friends came when Christina um, Saipu, who since moved to the mainland, um, 
that when she came, it, it really was a help. When, uh, when folks like Frida Takaki came and they brought food, that, that, was, that was a tremendous help for us. When um, other friends came and just stood with me in the midst of that, and people came when I had appointments, I would, they'd come out to Wahiwa, and, and it was helpful for me because I needed a little bit of a break. I had other things and other responsibilities at the same time. And so, but that sure, parents needed care and they couldn't be left alone, but people came. Take a break from some of us, like if you just say whatever the thing that you're, you're dealing with, X, and you fill in the blank, what is that? It's a work problem, it's a, it's a problem with your, you know, with your parents, it's a problem with your kids, it's a problem with your, you know, neighbor, I, I, who, whatever the case, but when, it, when the opportunity comes and people come to take a break from doing X, you should take it. You should take it. Because if you're gonna run the long haul, that you probably cannot sustain 24-7, right? Literally, some of us having done 24-7 care. Work can be overwhelming. Is there somebody in your team that can, can, can uh, jump on and, and, and help you in the process? Can somebody jump in the, tr- in the, the project with you? When children are sick so often that we say, hey, if you guys need anything, can I run and get dinner? And I've had so many people say, oh, no, 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 we good. I've said the same thing. And usually it's true because we already had cooked or you know all that kind of a thing. But, but sometimes just people being able to come alongside. And you know what begins to happen when that happens? You start seeing the goodness of God through friends, through family. You start seeing the goodness of God, of God's provision through people who care about you, right? Now, I say that, that, that God has goodness around you. And, and, and right now, I don't know what your life is like, but I just want you to, to do me a favor. Just, let's take a moment right now. and Just close your eyes. Close your eyes for a second. And what's the biggest thing that's weighing on you right now? You think about that thing. And for some of you, I think about it all the time. Uh, so this is not a great exercise for me. But here's the thing. It's like, we're not asking you to deny the reality of how difficult it is. We acknowledge that. But wh- I want to ask you, what are you telling yourself about this situation. What is the story that you're saying? Are you saying it will get better because God is gonna work something out, this thing will change, uh, we're gonna, or are you telling us like, I have, this, this can never get better. This is the beginning and the end. If you find yourself moving downward in that spiral, would you stop for a minute right now? And can you think Is there something of God's goodness that is already in your midst, that is already in your sphere, that is already trying, has tried to help and lend a hand? Can you just think about that for a second? How has God already provided? How has God already brought relief or help, right? You guys can open your eyes. And when we think about that, what is God's goodness for the disciples who are already on the brink of drowning and, and, and already afraid and already probably sopping well and probably already tired from trying to bail water if these guys are, are that much of a, a waterman, right? But what is their good? That Jesus is still in the boat, right? Jesus is still in the boat. He's asleep, he's not doing anything, <laughs> right? At the moment, he's, he seems to be uh, kind of, he's not engaged seemingly, right? But what is it, what happens to them when they begin to just keep this narrative? It, the narrative then continues. If you leave that narrative unchallenged, the narrative is we're in a storm, it's worse than we thought, the water's in the boat, Jesus is sleeping because he must not care, right? That becomes the downward spiral for them. Problem isn't that they're in the storm. Problem isn't that water in the boat, right? They think now that Jesus doesn't care. And so 
What's some solutions that when we run into situations like that, we find our minds going that direction? The first thing is this, challenge the narrative of the downward spiral. Challenge the narrative of the downward spiral. In other words, tell yourself, argue with yourself, (laughs) argue with yourself, argue with your emotions, argue with your thoughts, and recount what good things God has either done for you or what God has done in the past, right? If you've ever seen sometimes in the people in the scriptures in, in Acts chapter four when the disciples are, are being persecuted uh, in the early church and they've been put in jail and they've been threatened with imprisonment and death if they do not stop preaching about Jesus. They begin to pray in Acts chapter four. And the first thing they pray is that, oh, God who has created both heaven and earth, Would you hear our prayer? And then they start telling a few of those things about what what have you done? Or if we read in Hebrews 11, how we read that, that God, of the great things that he's done, he says that by faith these people overthrew kingdoms who have ruled with justice, who have received what God has promised them, who shut the mouths of lions, who quenched the flames of fire. And these are, the the shutting the mouths of lions obviously is a reference to Daniel that when he was thrown into the lion's den, that, that God began to do something supernatural, something unbelievable, so that they were spared, his, his life was spared. Or Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego who were thrown into the fire, that they quenched the flames of fire and escaped death by the edge of the sword. Maybe that might be David, or their weakness was turned to strength, and they became strong in battle. Now these kinds of things are here, not just to say, well, great for those guys, but to say, God, if you did it for Daniel, could you do it for me? God, if you, if you did it for Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, could you do it for me? That if you did it for, and then you fill in the blank. You did it for Abraham, could you do it for me, right? You did it for David, why? Because that's your spiritual ancestors, right? They, because by faith, you're part of the family of God, grafted in. He says this, that would you use these things to recount what God has done. Sometimes I've sat with people and they prayed God that when you made the, on the, when you said let there be light and there was light and they prayed and he says that there was light God and then when you said that let there be uh, the waters that form on the earth and let there be dry land, I said it's a powerful prayer just like let's not pray all that before we eat dinner because the food's gonna get cold but, um, but that, Prayer is like, yeah, like literally, and that's what my kids think I'm doing sometimes when they kind of kick me under the table. But here's that aspect is that, why are they doing that? Because they're building their faith before they actually pray for the thing that they want, when they challenge those things, right? But that challenges the narrative that we tell ourselves. The other thing that you do is recount how God has moved personally in your life, right? That maybe that when you came, I'm guessing that when you came to Christ, when you really surrendered and submitted your life to Christ, for many of us, it wasn't because everything was going like crazy uphill and you were on a rocket trajectory, right? I bet for many of us that maybe even on the outside, even though everything looked good, your private world was probably kind of messed up. That's how mine was. And you know what, when I think about how God received me in that moment when I felt least worthy, because it's just kind of the way I was living, just kind of the way I was thinking, just kind of the way I was uh, oriented around my life, I received it by grace. God, thank you for the grace that you poured out into my life. Thank you that you rescued me out of my sin and my shame. Thank you that you were faithful and didn't count my sins against me. And that when there was a moment in my, in my life as I began to grow and I, and I was gonna serve God, I didn't feel like I was good enough, good enough to serve God. And some of you guys, if you're, you're in that kind of a place, 
that maybe you have a sensitive conscience. We're most aware. You know who people are most aware of the sin in their life? It's not other people's sin. You're most aware generally of your own, your own weakness, your own frailty, your own faults, right? I, I never thought I was good enough to serve God. And the Lord whispered to me in 1 Timothy chapter 1, he says this, he says, that may God considered me faithful, putting me in the service. I didn't consider myself faithful enough, good enough. I'm glad God did. I'm glad God chose me. I'm glad God considered me faithful. When I was struggling and, and wondering, kind of like relationship to relationship in some ways that, God, when is my time to get married? God, when are you gonna bring that woman for me? And I remember praying in, the, in the, the middle of this park in Cerritos, California, and the Lord whispered to me, about my wife, that right now she's in a relationship. This is crazy, but he whispered that she's in a relationship, she's gonna be pursued, and when she says no, when she turns it down, that's gonna be your time. And it, I just had to say, it's not that long. It was so crazy, I wrote it down in my journal. I was like, what, that's so specific. And then when we started dating, we had met at a, I mean, I asked her out on a New Year's Eve or the first service of a midweek, uh, uh, the first midweek of the year. So right after New Year's, and I asked her out. My friend was there too. I, I saw him. Uh, his name's Cal. And uh, he's telling me, hey, Glenn, what are you doing here? And I said, oh, just he came for the service. He said, what are you doing here? He said, I came to ask out that girl Rika over there. <laughs> and... I said, oh, hey, not bad. And then uh, Andy Yamamoto, Pastor Andy was there at that time. And he goes, oh, Andy. And as soon as he said, hi, Andy, then I went and I asked Rika out right over there. <laughs> you snooze, you lose, right? We started dating, right? Hey, all fair, man. In a lot of but like, it, here's the thing is that, that when we got, after we got engaged, then we were talking and I knew that Rika had been engaged before and then she said about, you know, like at that service that when you came, that, that whole time I was just struggling um, whether I go back to Japan because her old fiance was calling her and say, let's get back together. I'm sorry, I was an idiot. I was wrong. I shouldn't have done that. And let's just try again. And she was struggling whether she go back to Japan and take that go back to that relationship or stay. And that was her biggest thing. And at the New Year's Eve service they had that she laid it on the altar and she just said, God, I'm willing to do whatever you want me to do. But she felt that God was saying stay. So she committed to stay. And then the next day, not the next day, but two days later or three days later, <laughs> I asked her out, right. right? So it was God's will that Andy Yamamoto came and touched it, saw Cal, so that he wouldn't have messed up the plan of God. No, but, but here's the thing. I start recounting those kinds of things, right? I start recounting how God has been faithful, how God has moved. When, when I became a missionary, I thought I will never own a house ever in my life. Just, I, I just, I laid it on the altar. And then when you get married, you know, it's fine when you're single, and you get married. And then you start thinking different things, right? You start thinking you want to provide stability. I was thinking, Lord, I already laid that on the house, but I, there's no way I can do it. Like, and God provided a way. And, and we're, we've been in that house since about a year and a half after we got married. That, that, that's not me. That's not my great planning. That's not because I'm a financial wizard. It's the grace of God. I start thinking and I start replaying God that when I've had my back against the wall, when I, and, and you know what? He's the same God. Amen. What about you? How has God met you in your time of crisis? How has God met you in your time of need? How has God answered a prayer that was beyond what you could think, right? If you're new in the faith, this is where, you know what? If you cannot think of your personal one, read this because this is trying to, for you to say, that if you face a situation like that, it's not just these guys that God hears, it's the people who trust him that he hears. It's there so that you can say, I can believe for the same thing they had. 
And so tell yourself something that challenges this downward spiral, right? Challenge that narrative. What you do not challenge, you will live with. And so this weekend, I, we started by looking at that passage, but I want to um, read on and what it says. Then it says in, in that whole Mark passage, let's come back to Mark. Jesus was sleeping at the back of the boat with his head on a cushion and the disciples woke him, shout, woke him up shouting, teacher, don't you care what we're gonna drown? And then Jesus woke up and he rebuked the wind and said to the waves, silence be still. Let's say silence be still. The biggest threat to their life was the driving winds, the roaring ocean, and when Jesus said, be silent and be still, things changed. Suddenly the wind stopped and it was a great calm. And he asked them, why are you afraid? Do you still have no faith? And the disciples were terrified, absolutely terrified. Who is this man? They asked each other. Even the wind and the waves obey him. You know, even though they thought in some sense poorly of Jesus that you don't really care, they still knew where to go. They still woke him up. They still called out to him. And so if you're in the midst of this thing, what do you do? Just call out to God. Just call out to God. Sometimes you can think crazy thoughts about God. He's against me. He doesn't care about me. Just doesn't matter. Just keep calling out to God. That they did. And you know what Jesus doesn't say when he wakes up? Oh, you guys get so little faith. Why should I do anything for you? Aren't you glad that's not what he says? What is the first thing he says? Silent, be still. God knows the problems that you're challenged with. God knows the overwhelming things that you face. And when you call out to him, and sometimes it feels like, Man, I'm not faith-filled. I'm fear-filled. I'm, I'm anxiety-filled. But you know what? God hears you when you call out. God hears you when you call out. If you turn to your neighbor, God hears you when you call out. He still responds. That's the first thing he does. The first thing he does. You know, um, sometimes God meets us in these moments and does amazing things. Um, a lot of, I've told the story about us getting into this ministry center a, a bunch, and, but I, I haven't told one that, that when we were transitioning from our first ministry center to our second ministry center, the one around the corner, um, that happened that we were using realtors and searching listings and doing all those things. And um, time was getting short that we needed to be out, move out, and, and just every place we went just didn't plan out, just it wasn't appropriate, it wasn't the, the right, they didn't want a church, or they didn't want all these kinds of situations. And so we're in that place, and, and I'm crying out to God, God, we have to actually move all of our stuff out in two weeks. I don't know how we can even sign a lease in that time. And just as we're doing that, I'm driving home on Leokane Street, going up to that stoplight, and then I pass that bank of mirrored glass warehouses, and I see space available sign. I've driven down that road every day or whatever for five days a week, six days a week for years. I never noticed the sign. And partly the reason why I never noticed the sign is because the Department of Education had rented out that whole like 100,000 square feet of warehouse. It used to store all these supplies before uh, for the DOE in that place. And then they shifted their system and they started to open the thing up. And it, I, I don't know when it opened, but then it, I saw the sign. I, I called the number. They said space available. How much? 100,000 square feet, that's a little bit too much for me. <laughs> but, like a, but we looked at that, said, are you willing to cut it smaller? Sure, and then we went, we saw the space, this will be great. 
It was just a giant warehouse because they hadn't demised the walls or anything and we negotiated the terms. This took a few days, obviously, to do that. Finally, you know, we're ready to begin to sign the lease, but now they said, but you know, it's gonna take us a few days to generate the agreement. Right, it has to go through legal and all this kind of stuff, they're legal, and, and then we have to look at it and all that. And I said, I don't know what we're gonna do because now we're like less than a week away. And they said this, says, if you meet me tonight, I can give you the key and you guys can bring all your stuff. We had just like tons of stuff in the old ministry center. We didn't have a lease. We didn't make any like formal commitment, right? We'd been talking for like about a week and the lady gave me the key so that we could go in and bring in all of our stuff in this 100,000 feet of warehouse space. And uh, of course we didn't put it all over the warehouse, but some of you guys remember, right? Guys like Troy was there, right? Bunch of us were at that place. We remember maybe moving into that warehouse. And you know, the thing is that sometimes when you call out to God, that he makes a way through it that you never thought was possible, right? And I, I wouldn't expected people to give me the key if we don't have the lease. But sometimes he makes you stronger to get through the situation, right? Sometimes he makes you stronger. And so, but when that happens, when God takes you through it, you have to kind of embrace your weakness for that. Right? You, you cannot deny your weakness. You cannot be afraid to embrace your weakness. Don't be afraid to embrace your weakness because when you embrace your weakness and you own it and you bring that before God, then God can strengthen you. You know, it, it says this about the Apostle Paul. He was praying for a miracle first. He was praying for a change of situations. In, in 2 Corinthians 12, verses seven to 10, he says this, I was given a thorn in my flesh, a messenger from Satan to torment me and keeping me from becoming proud. And people have guessed all kinds of things. What is it? Part of that is Paul, that they, they basically they think Paul had very poor eyesight, so they think that might have been it. Some of it thought that, that it was the aches and pains that he suffered from the beatings and scourgings that he went through in all of his life. For some people thought it's, you know, it's kind of like an intestinal thing, that there's different reasons why they, they think these things. We don't really know what it is, but this is what Paul was praying as an apostle. Three different times, I begged the Lord to take away. Let's say the words, take it away. That's what we're saying, God, take it away. How many of us have prayed that prayer many times, right? Lord, take it away, take it away. Paul's praying the exact same prayer. Each time he said this, my grace is all you need. My power works best in weakness. So now I am glad, he says, to boast about my weaknesses so that the power of Christ can work through me. That's why I take pleasure in my weakness and in, my, in, in the insults and hardships and persecutions and troubles that I suffer for Christ because when, for when I am weak, then I am what? Strong. Strong. You see, God will sometimes help you through your weakness by strengthening you in the midst of your weakness. But you gotta admit that you have weakness for you to be strengthened in that. You gotta admit that you, you need it. So don't be afraid to embrace your weakness. Some of us, we just wanna deny, we wanna cover it. We don't want anybody to see it, but when you're honest to God, you say, God, I cannot do this. God, I, would you take it away? We ask those things. And sometimes God does the miraculous by changing the situation. And sometimes that God does the miraculous by changing us. And so Paul said this, right? All of a sudden, by his grace, his power worked best in my weakness. What does that mean for him? I'm not exactly sure. Does it mean that he could somehow still function despite the fact that he couldn't see? We find later in in, in one of the epistles where he says, see with what large letters I write because that's why they thought that it was his, his thing, that he had to write big letters because he couldn't see. But then later it says this, but I thank, uh, but, um, 
my servant, and he, he says the name, I can't remember the name of the guy, who actually wrote it. They call that guy an amanuensis. Somebody who dictated, he wrote. Paul said the letter, but it was actually somebody else who wrote it. Because by then, Paul couldn't write. By then, Paul's eyesight probably had degraded to such a degree. But this is what he said. When I couldn't see, God provided the friend who could see. And he says, that's how God, what, you had the power to do that. So sometimes God's strength is perfected in our weakness. God, you did that, he's saying, right? And we've all been in this place. God, take it away. You thought that, you've said that, I've said that. And there's times where God maybe has, and there's times where God maybe hasn't. But when you embrace and own it, then God has a grace for you. God can have a grace for you. And you'll know his heart and you'll know his voice. And maybe on some sense, Paul would probably say, I would rather be able to see. I would rather have my vision restored. But you know, I'm not hindered, he says. Later, we see in the last letters he wrote, he says, it's even to your advantage that I'm in prison. It's even to your advantage that I'm in this situation. And he couldn't even see, but he could talk. <laughs> and he led people to Christ. And so, embrace your weakness. God will have a balance for you. He will give you strength in your weakness. And, uh, you know, sometimes when you get in that moment where you're battling those thoughts and we're nervous and we're afraid and we get to that place, you know, where it says in that passage in, the, uh, in Mark 4, it says that when they were in the boat and then he calms the wave, it's an amazing thing that he says, um, why are you afraid? That some translations say, why are you still afraid? This is after he calms the storm. See, sometimes God can do the miraculous, but to be honest, even the situation changing doesn't change the narrative that we tell ourselves. So we're still waiting for the bottom to fall out. Right? When, when I got healed of prostate cancer, I, I went to see the, the guy again, like in, uh, last month. And he started talking to me about, uh, the doctor started talking to me about the situation. And, and uh, he says, oh, you know, your prostate cancer. I said, oh, I had prostate cancer. I don't have prostate cancer now. He says, oh, no, you still have prostate cancer. He said, we just couldn't find it. Now I understand, and then I, he, you know, I asked him about these things, and he goes like, you know, like, hey, you know, this, there's this test, and there's the prostate number, the, the prostate levels, and, and, uh, and he, goes, he goes, I know that yours keeps going lower and lower and lower. It's crazy. He said, I, I don't really, this like, I don't really understand it. I said, yeah, but I, I noticed on the test, there's this other thing called the free um, kind of prostate kind of thing that you're looking at. And I go, what is that? Because that's going up. Then he says, oh, no, that's, that's a good number that should go up. He said, I've never seen anybody higher. And you know, the thing about it though, when he said those words, there's a part of me that said, oh, maybe I still have it, right? But then the thing I do right after I said, I just refuse that, God, and I just receive that I'm healed, right? God, I receive that I'm healed because I needed to renew myself because sometimes fear can come back. Does that make sense? And so for each of us, you have to renew yourself in God's presence. The other day, some of us who read the Bible app in our phone know that there's this thing called the verse of the day. And a couple days ago, there was this verse that I have read and it has ministered to me tremendously in the past. As a young believer, I've shared this to people 
who have been through going through difficult things for my father-in-law when when he became ill I remember sharing this with him and talking to him about it and I knew it ministered to him and then sometimes you just kind of don't I just read it probably last month just in my regular devotion and then all of a sudden you just kind of forget about it you guys ever forget what the God tells you and all that but then it came up in the verse of the day and it says this can we read this Isaiah 41.10. For I am with you. Do not anxiously look about you, for I am your God. I will strengthen you. Surely I will help you. Surely I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. When he says this, he says, do not fear. There's a reason why he says do not fear. He doesn't tell you just do not fear and that's it, right? It's not like, you know, just say no but he says why because there's a reason what's the reason for I am with you and so I started to thank God for his presence thank you God you've not left me thank you God that you not abandoned me it counteracts the story that sometimes we tell ourselves God that you haven't left me you haven't changed your mind right now whatever the circumstances that you're going through right now would you just realize would you just say to yourself and maybe you say to God God thank you that you're with me right now you haven't left me then he says this don't be anxious why I am your God he says don't be anxious now some translations will say this don't be discouraged don't be dismayed and I did a study on it I just take a look about it and and it comes from this Hebrew word which can mean to gaze and then the other part, it can mean to look around you. And so that's why this translation says don't look around you or, or one says do not anxiously look around you, that translation. It's saying don't be like so paranoid and scared that everything's gonna fall out from you. Why? He says, because I am your God. You know, if, I, if you start looking for that weird pain, sometimes you'll find it, right? Sometimes if you start focusing on those things, you, you'll find it, right? But instead, he says this. He says, hey, would you focus on me? Why? Because I'm your God. And you know what he's saying? Is that when you gave yourself to him and you claimed Jesus as your God, God claimed you. When he says, I am your God, God is claiming you now. He says, no, you belong to me. I'm going to take care of you. I'm not, whatever that situation that you're facing, it's not bigger than me. Right? Whatever you're facing, it's God is bigger than that thing. I claim you. When you claimed him, he claimed you. And that's true despite how you feel, despite what you see, right? Despite what you think at times. But he doesn't just tell you not to fear and not to get anxious because he's with you and because he's, he's your God. Because he also says he will what? Strengthen and help me. Can we just say that God strengthens and helps me? So he doesn't just give you more power to go through it, which is what we saw with Paul. God gave Paul, right? He didn't answer it, but he says, I'm gonna help you. Maybe the help was bringing the guy who came, who could write, who, who meshed well with Paul. But God says, I wanna give you strength, so when your strength fails, you'll still have strength. And it will undergird you, and he'll help you. You know, when we kneeled um, this evening, I had to literally think. When I kneel sometimes, I got to literally think, okay, which knee shall I kneel with? Because I blew out my knee a, a number of years ago, right? I had to get a replacement, uh, ACL replacement surgery. But I remember when that happened. I was at Long Beach State. It was a, a judo thing, and we were there. And it's not like I was great at judo or anything. It was just kind of really beginning. But um, my friend who's 
uh, he's just one of those guys. He has his own clubs and all these things. He's Glenn, you got to go to judo. You're built for judo. You're low to the ground. Your center of gravity is like, oh, in other words, I'm short and I'm heavy. That's what you're saying, right? But he says that, no, you would do great in judo, right? So I said, yeah, okay, 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 I'll go. And then so we were there. And we're just supposed to do these drills where you go back and forth when you throw each other. You're not supposed to run away because it's harder to throw a guy who's running away, right? So you're supposed to just kind of do this thing. You're doing this thing. So I let him throw me. And then when it came time for me to throw him, the guy started running away. I got mad. <laughs> like, like, oh, I let you throw me. But then when you t- my time, right, you're not. So I just thought I wouldn't get him anyway. So I just, I hopped in. And I threw him, and he went over. But as he went over, I heard this thing go, "Buck!" <laughs> that was my knee. That was my ACL being torn. I didn't know it at the time. I heard it pop. I heard it tear. And I was down on the ground. I just knew that my pain was, my knee was so painful. And um, so when it, he got up, and then I got up, and then all of a sudden, my knee went like jello, <laughs> and I fell, right? I go, oh, that's new. <laughs> Never had that happen before. And I knew something was wrong, right? And my knee was, it was a to- total pain. I just sat out for the rest of the practice. And then when it was done, you know, they got some ice. And, then, and when it was time to go, I started to walk. There's, I just thought, there's no way I can walk. Because I probably had to walk maybe like 500, 600 yards. It was far to, to get to my car. But my friend, my best friend, Andy, Yamamoto, Pastor Andy, he was there. And when I couldn't walk, he came up alongside and put his arm under my, under my arm. And I leaned on him. And although I had pain, I was able to make what I couldn't make on my own. And I hobbled to the car, right? And I went through recovery and all that. But there's times in your life that you literally, you feel like there's so much pain in your life. There's so much difficulty. And you just feel like, I don't think I can do it. I cannot make it. But this is what God says. Do not fear. I am with you. Do not anxiously look about you because I am your God and I will strengthen you and I will help you. And maybe this right now, is this is the time we invite God, would you help me today? I need your help because I cannot do it. Sometimes this process of gaining emotional resilience, it's focusing our mind, right? It's attacking the things that we, that we tell ourselves. Some, it's, of course, doing the things that will change situations that if that's the thing that is open. But even when you can't, this is God says, I will strengthen you and I'll help you. That makes sense? Can we bow our heads? Close in order of prayer. And with our heads bowed, our eyes closed, that thing that maybe is your greatest fear, maybe you might not have been able to see the good around it. You might not have been able to see all those things. But can right now, can we call out to God And we say, God, I'm weak. I'm scared. You fill in the blank. I'm angry. I'm upset. I'm nervous. I feel uncertain. I feel unsteady. You fill in the blank. Embrace that weakness because it's in that moment that you can find grace. And would you hear the voice of your Father in heaven that says this. Do not be afraid. You're not alone. I'm still with you. You don't have to run around like a chicken without a head because I claim you. I haven't rejected you. I'm your God and you're my child. And I will strengthen and I will help you. And if you just want that help, would you just tell them, Lord, I need you and I want your help? 
Father, we receive that you're a strength to the weak. Father, that you're a help to those in times of trouble, a very present help in times of trouble. And Father, I pray that your sons and your daughters would sense your embrace today. Just like Andy helped me to walk, that you helped me to walk through Andy. Lord, would they sense your presence? Would they sense your power? Because it's not just the things that we face. Lord, it's, it's telling us ourselves the truth that you are still with us in the midst of those things and that you're making a way. We receive it today. We believe it today. And we pray it in Jesus' mighty name. God's people say, amen. 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 Hey, God bless you guys. Have a great week. Thank you for tuning in to the New Hope Kapolei Messages podcast. We hope you enjoyed this weekend's message and that it brought you inspiration and encouragement in your journey of faith. If you'd like to listen to more messages or stay connected with us, visit our website at newhopecapolei.org or follow us on social media. Remember, no matter where you are in life, there is always hope and a new beginning in Christ. So let's continue to grow and learn together as we pursue a life of purpose and impact. Thanks again for listening. We'll see you next time. Aloha and God bless.